Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a DJ music producer. It's DJ Yoshi. How are you hey, doing? Hey, what's going on, Alex? Not much. I'm so excited to learn more about your journey and your Rise to the Challenge. I'm, gonna, I'm happy to be here. We're going to start right at the beginning. Talk about what, where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Sure. Um, so I grew up in a town called Livingston, New Jersey. It is one, um, one of the affluent neighborhoods um, of New Jersey. We grew up uh, initially um, in Jersey City, New Jersey. And at the time, Jersey City wasn't um, going through the surge and, and the popularity that it is now, right? This is pre-gentrification. This is shoot them up, stab them up Jersey City. So my parents got us out of there and we moved to a town, Livingston. And it was super sheltered town, right? Um, I think at the time it was like 70, 80% uh, Caucasian. And we were like one of the few Asian families that, that settled down in, in Livingston. So um, I was exposed to all things sports, right? And sports is how I kind of, made friends and sports was always my go-to place. Um, I went to Catholic school when, um, you know, uh, K through eighth grade, I went to Catholic school. And then when I got into high school, I realized that I didn't really know anyone. And um, I was bullied for a, a little bit while I was there in high school, uh, my freshman year. And they stopped doing that and making fun of me when they found out that I played sports. So that's what I was involved in growing up. And, you know, for me, music was always my background. Um, watched my brother learn how to play piano uh, growing up. And then I took piano lessons for five years, switched over from piano to guitar, um, trumpet lessons for six years. And uh, eventually, uh, when my brother graduated eighth grade, um, he got DJ equipment for his eighth grade graduation. And uh, whenever he'd go out with friends, you know, I was still in sixth grade at the time. So uh, he would go out with friends and I would just mess around on his turntables. And that's kind of how I learned how to DJ. And, uh, you know, fast forward to what it is now. And I'm so thankful that he asked for a set of freaking turntables for eighth grade. Would you say sports and music kind of gave you a confidence boost where it kind of helped you overcome bullying and going through that situation? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, whenever it came down to something, you know, having some sort of common ground, right, because people like to have common ground. Even these days, people need common ground, right? And um, the one thing that connected me always with people and with the popular kids um, growing up was sports. It was my ability to play sports, my ability to understand it, my ability to gamble on it when I was a kid. And I was horrific at gambling. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it led to that pathway and, and that, that common ground connection that, that I needed to have with uh, people that I really didn't know, you know, coming from eight, my eighth grade class, my graduation class was 50 students, wow. right? Going into one of the biggest high schools um, at the time, we had the biggest uh, graduating class um, at Livingston High. Uh, I think it was like 450, 460, right? So a kid coming from small town, going into this ginormous beast. Um, I needed something. So Thank God. Thank God I played basketball. Back then, did you have any 
person that you inspired to be or was like a mentor that motivated you maybe in music or in sports? Uh, to be honest, I always looked up to my, my big brother. Um, you know, he went to a different school than I did. Um, so when he went to school, he went to Seton Hall and Seton Hall was, that's where the, the purebred players went to, right? Like those are the guys that are trying to get recruited in college. Yeah. Uh, no one went to Livingston at the time. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd watch him and, and I'd watch his games. Uh, he was a pitcher and it was nice to see that, you know, someone from our small school could succeed. Um, my brother pitched for Seton Hall, his best friend pitched for Seton Hall, their other best friend pitched for Seton Hall, um, you know, and, and some of them had, uh, had recruiting eyes on them. So it was nice to see that and be able to talk with my brother about, hey, like, why are you doing this? So I was a catcher in, in, when, I, when we played baseball because my brother was a pitcher, right? So uh, just being able to speak with him and, um, and, and their friends and understand why they're doing something versus why they're not uh, situationally within a game. It helped me become a better player. And it was, again, common ground with people who were older. Um, but as for people on TV and, you know, who I aspire to be, uh, my parents were just like, you know, they're, they're just regular people on TV. They're, you know, athletes are athletes, uh, celebrities are celebrities. It's not like they're royalty or anything like that, right? So they're just normal, everyday people. So just talk to them like normal, everyday people and you don't look up to them. The only person you look up, look up to is God. <laughs> so that's kind of how we were raised and, and, you know, how we were, uh, we were taught to think growing up. Did you have a dream job that you wanted or what were you wanting to pursue in college? Oh my God. <laughs> dream job. First dream job. I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> right. So okay. wanted to be an astronaut all throughout, like my first, you know, first or fifth grade wanted to be an astronaut. And then fell in love with the movie Top Gun all over again. Then I wanted to be a pilot. And then they told me I couldn't be a pilot because my eyes sucked. Oh. Right. So they were like, hey, you know, pilots can't wear glasses. And um, my my cousin's a pilot. So it was cool, you know, seeing seeing him uh, come to family parties in flight gear. Like, Man, that's <laughs> this guy gets a lot of girls. <laughs> right. So um, after that, um, what I see when I when I went into college, my my path was was pretty much already decided for me. Um, I was already doing clubs when I was in high school. So my first New York City club was when I was 15. Yeah, yeah, thank God. Uh, I, I got real lucky and thank, shout out to my mom for actually saying yes to, to letting me go. Yeah, that's definitely at a young age. That's, that's a whole different experience. For yeah, yeah, you know, like my first time I was like, and it was a smaller club, too. I forgot the name of the club. Um, it was on 7th Ave. It was on Varick. Um, so forgot the name of the club. It was a smaller club. There was maybe like 300 people there. And I was like, man, this is crazy. So this is what a New York City club is like. <laughs> and um, fortunately for me, after that summer, uh, I, I grew a little bit. I, I lost the braces, so it was uh, it was more visually appealing, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, my brother met a bunch of New York promoters, and this is like um, he met them while he was at school at Rutgers, and they in turn ended up booking me for shows. They saw a draw, and they they saw a pull for 
hey, this this is a 16-year-old kid. You guys need to come here and play. Wow. And my first headlining flyer was when I was 16 years old. Um, by the time I was 17, I was playing at the Tunnel in Limelight, which were uh, two of the um, major clubs in New York at the time. And, you know, by the time I graduated, um, you know, my one big regret, and, and I said it uh, at, at our class reunion, uh, we just had our 20-year our class reunion, um, was when I got that confidence and I found my niche and I was rolling, I was popular outside of my school. So I didn't really care about the people within my school. It was just, I'm going to school. Hey, I'm cool with you. I like you. Um, we could vibe out, but I'm not hanging out with you and I'm not cultivating, cultivating any of those relationships. And that's a big, a big thing. Um, if I could go back and change uh, one thing that I did in my life was I didn't cultivate enough relationships in high school uh, to the point where I'm trying to do that now. And I'm trying to reconnect with, with, with kids in my high school now, um, you know, over a round of golf and, and pre COVID over drinks. But those people that you meet when you're, you know, in grade school, high school, those are going to be your champions throughout life. And those are going to be your real ride or dies. So I'm happy that I had an ability to expand my knowledge and expand my, um, my mentality, um, if you will, in the business sense of being so young and, and uh, you know, making legitimate, serious money. Um, but I feel like those experiences jaded me for a true childhood high school experience. So, you know, go, going back to your question, yeah, by the time I was in college, um, I was like, you know, I'm going to have a job in music and I'm going to do something in music and it doesn't matter what I do. I could do radio, I could do um, promotions. So by that time, yeah, when I, when I got into college, uh, col I always told my mom that college is just for her, you know, graduating <laughs> was just for her. Um, fortunate enough uh, that... Um, Computer science was one of the majors, uh, English was one, and uh, math was a minor, and music was a minor also. It's definitely a wide variety of stuff. Wide variety. To what I, you do now. <laughs> it has, I mean, except for the minor in music, but yeah. I guess maybe some of that ter terms and stuff you've learned in school could help in DJing. I mean, I don't know the DJing world, so yeah. I don't know how computer science would help, but... Unless well, that's that's the thing is computer science really didn't help. And when I graduated college, I was like, you know what? Um, so when I graduated, I was working as the official DJ of, of the Nets at the time. Right. So that was 2003 to 2005. Um, the, the glory years and, and shouts to Paul Cameras and everybody at the Nets. Hopefully you guys get back soon because I'm hurting for good basketball. Yeah. And. I will never become a Nick fan, thank God. <laughs> Ride or die for the Nets till the day I die. Um, but so at the time, I, I graduated and then my contract had expired with the Nets. So when I graduated college, I was like, man, what am I going to do? Um, I had worked at Universal um, for a and I had consulted in uh, music promotion with, um, with Sony and J Records. So shouts to Russ Jones over there at J Records. Thank you for that. And uh, Nathan Sheard over at Sony and Chris Green. Um, 
so yeah, by, by the time I graduated college, it was like, man, what am I going to do? So I went and I actually used my computer science degree. And it was the smartest thing because I was going so hard from 1997 to 2005. Yeah, it took me a long time to graduate college. So hey, again, shout out to my mother. Some people go on the long track. Some people get it done quickly. It's just getting to that end goal. Yeah, I, I just wanted to have more and more degrees, you know, more stuff to hang up on the wall. But it, it really was that I was, I was rarely going to class and, uh, you know, I was trying to promote my own brand at the time. And I didn't know, you know, there, there, this was before anybody had their own brand, right? Yeah. So I was just trying to promote the experience of, of what it was like to come out and hear me play a club, what it was like to, to um, have me at your private events. And that's what I focused my time in college. And, you know, because I regretted not doing it in high school, I said, I'm not going to do that in college. And I'm going to try to connect with as many people. I'm not going to be a dick. And I'm, if anybody wants to talk about something or, you know, if I meet anybody, we're just going to, you know, break bread. We're going to eat. We're going to share a drink. And we're going to be able to have a good conversation with each other. So that's what I spent most of college doing, playing spades, eating, drinking, and uh, having good conversations with people and going to a shit ton of parties. Yeah. <laughs> See, when you were talking about your story about trying to reconnect with people in high school, yeah. that is like the complete opposite for me. It's kind oh. of, I hit high school, I graduated, and then it's like, well, no one, I haven't had like maybe a good a conversation with anyone. Like they'll like a post on social media, which I appreciate that. But it's kind of like I miss talking to them and sometimes I reach out to them and I just get nowhere. But it's like the college, college was where, okay, it's a fresh start. Like you got to be who you are as a person and yeah. find those people that fit your personality. Yeah, and absolutely. Some of my friends, it's like, we don't know how we became friends, but it's like the greatest story in the world. And yeah, like, absolutely. I talk to those people every single day because they've made an impact in my life. I made an impact in their life. So it's one of those things in college is kind of like what you did. It's make the memories happen. Like change, uh, do everything you can to enjoy the experience, not just go to class yes. or go to your dorm room. So I can definitely relate to the college part, but yeah, I can't say I can go to all those parts because <laughs> my parents may be watching this, but they know <laughs> I did it anyway. So I mean, come on, mom and dad. Like you guys yeah. know what's up, man. I mean, it's college. Everyone's got to experience it. When you were working as the DJ for the Nets, talk yes. about the behind the scenes, what someone may not know happens during that job. That Because to us, when we go to a game, we just see you play music. But talk right. about the process that working to get to that game and preparing for it. So um, first it was uh, the actual pitch to get there, right? At the time, this was 2003, there weren't a lot of DJs in sports. There were two, Super Sam, DJ Irie, and they were the guys. Super, Super Sam was with, um, I, I guess, Seattle Storm and the Supersonics at the time, right, when the Supersonics were there. Uh, Irie was the first ever um, sports DJ uh, for the NBA. You know, Irie was, was um, with the Miami Heat. So I made the pitch, and they were like, hey, this sounds cool. And then that's all I heard, right? <laughs> so um, luckily, Irie and I had had a decent um, 
a decent relationship, if you want to call it, if you want to call it relationship, uh, you know, it was at the at the time of MySpace and Friendster. Goodness. So Irie and I were able to link up, and um, I went down to Miami uh, to see him how he played a game and see what he did. And after that one meeting, he co-signed me, called up the Nets, and said, "You guys got to hire this guy." So shout out to you, Irie. That's that's always my guy, man. Uh, no matter what he's doing, and look at what he's doing now. If you guys don't know who DJ Irie is on Instagram, he's at Irie. Um, Jamie Foxx's DJ, Leonardo DiCaprio's DJ, Sting. I mean, this guy is on yachts with with Leo playing Leo's parties, and it's just like, man, that's so dope. Um, he's Victoria's Secret's DJ. So it's it's real cool to see how how he ascended and the things that he and I used to talk about. He he used to be like, man, you know, like one day, one day I would like to do this for for my mother, and you know, um watching him achieve those dreams that's been like one of the, like the, the highlights of my life is just like man i know that guy and i'm so freaking proud of him um so shout out to Irie for for getting me in with the nets and then when we got there it was like a whole court it was just like a well you play clubs so we're gonna listen to you we're gonna come listen to you play a club cool staff came out listened to me play a club and they were like that's cool we want to bring that atmosphere in into the arena so when I was with the Nets, it was truly open format to whatever the, I wanted to play. So if it was party stuff, it was party stuff. It was like down-tempo, like uh, ingress stuff. It's down-tempo ingress stuff. Um, the really, at the time, the, the preparation for me was making sure my vinyl, because at the time I was using vinyl, was, was in order. So, you know, rolling out with, I think, like 10, 11 crates to each game. Uh, making sure that that was sorted and I knew where everything was. Um, so my mind works a little differently. Um, it, it works in tangents. It doesn't work in, in directs. Mm -hmm. So um, my tangent was, you know, I could have something here, but the tangent would be somewhere else. So I had uh, color-coded um, uh, color record crates that helped me determine where things were and then where I was going to go after that. So uh, that was my preparation, completely different from what it is today. There really was no preparation before then. Hey, rec record label, uh, you know, I, I need this vinyl because I'm playing the next game tomorrow night. You know, can I come pick it up or can you guys, you know, FedEx it over to me? Mm -hmm. uh, that was preparation for me. Um, fast forward now, um, Rutgers football, I, I had the same preparation. It was just, you know, here's that, that's where I started getting a little more creative. Like, hey, what do you want to listen to? And I would ask the players. I would have some, you know, a, a liaison ask the players what they wanted to listen to. Um, it wasn't until towards the end of uh, my Rutgers football career um, there, and I was there 2006 to 2016. Uh, 15 was the last season, so 10 years, um, that I actually started thinking, well, shit, it's not just about me. It's not just about the players. Um, we need to entertain the fans, too, during the downtime, right? So um, that's when I started asking people, uh, this was more towards like 2010, 2011, what do you guys want to hear? And um, 
it was completely different from what I was playing. And I was like, shit, I just, I need to start coming up with um, an entertainment crate uh, just for like canned entertainment beds or um, like a different ingress crate for when the players are off the field. And it's just fans coming in. It's just fans sitting down. They don't, they don't want to hear hip hop and trap the entire time. Right. So, um, so we want to hit them with like Margaritaville or, <laughs> you know, Hotel California or something while they're coming in, you know, they don't, they don't want to listen to fucking welcome to the jungle for, for 20 hours of, of the day. Um, no. no. So that, that got me prepared. And, and um, you know, my first actual true preparation test was uh, while I was DJing for the New York jets. Uh, shouts to rich Gentile over at the jets. So I was with the jets for a season and he's the first person that, that got me to sit down and say, th this was during my interview with him, uh, my first meeting. Um, so situationally, what are you going to play during this? I'm like, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you know, third down, what are you going to play? I'm like, welcome to the jungle. And he's like, bro. <laughs> he's like, he's like, no. <laughs> so my homework after that for like the next like two weeks was just like, all right, man, I'm going to ask every sports DJ that I know what are they playing situationally? And because of that, that helped me expand my game and, and, and my horizon and, and help me understand, man, it's not just about the players. It's not just about me. And it's not just about the coaching staff. It's, it's the people that are in the stadium. So um, my good friend, Drew Robinson, uh, who brought me into Rutgers football, he and I have this saying that um, we're not there to produce a sports show were there to create memories. So that's what I try to do now. I try to create a certain kind of memory because, um, you know, for me, especially like thinking back to it, my memory and the reason why I love the Nets, um, it wasn't because they were good. Uh, they were horrific when my parents were taking us there, but it was the smell of the popcorn, um, the sound of the ball and the hardwood and sitting there and enjoying a game with my parents, my friends and my brother. And I'm just like, man, if, if I can connect um, people like, oh, shit, man, he played that song uh, during this moment and we could sing along to it, it only enhances the fan experience. So for all of the programs that are out there and all of the major sports teams that are out there, if you do not have a DJ, and I'm not talking about a, a person who presses buttons on click. Right, that's a different story. That's that's the the in-house can sound. If you don't have a DJ, really do try to explore having one because your click is already pre-programmed, so you're already predetermined on your pages. Um, for those who don't understand what I'm talking about, it's called click effects. It's like a, a a a digital sampler for every song and every situation, and it's how we lay out games for you know situationally. But I use click. Um, and Serato. So Serato, you know, if there's something that goes on, right? Uh, prime example, um, Big Ten Championship game. Uh, I think it was three years ago. Um, on a goal line stance, the field breaks. I mean, the, the turf at Lucas Oil Stadium rips up and people are like, oh, shit, this is crazy. Um, you hear screaming in the headset, hey, we got to go to commercial break. We're going to go to commercial break. Um, and then people are just like, oh, my God, like, what do we do? What do we do? Like, you know, this is probably going to be like 10, 15 minutes. So 
I was like, man, I'm going to have fucking fun with it. This is my time <laughs> right here. I played, I started off with um, Coldplay, Fix You, um, into Blackstreet, you know, If You Need a Fix. <laughs> and I had the crowd singing Coldplay, right? So in a normal click situation, you're not going to have Coldplay fix you because it's a slow song, right? So why is anybody going to have that preloaded in? But a DJ could quickly search for, hey, I'm going to look for all the songs that, that are about fixing and, and breaking, breaking up and fixing yourself after a breakup. Um, so that's what I did. And I was like, man, this, this is going to rock. And I, I have a video somewhere of me playing Fix You and the crowds, uh, the crowds sing along. Um, it's, that's one of the highlights. But yeah, for, for all the programs and uh, um, pro sports franchises out there, you guys need to have a DJ on top of, of, a, of, of a click guy. It's like you said that it's uh, some people go to the games and it's like they want the atmosphere. They want that feeling. And I yes. think definitely during this time that we're all going through, it's kind of like, okay, we're at home and we're just watching it on a screen, but we all miss going to the games, yes. hearing the fans. And I, I mean, I can say this when I go to games, I mean, I have Shazam out and I'm just like hitting the button, like, Oh, I like that song. <laughs> what's this song? But it's kind of like the, you kind of remember, and I know because I'm just only wearing it right now, with the blues, they have that power play song. I think it's too unlimited and to Twilight Zone, I think. Yeah, Twilight Zone. I mean, that song is stuck in everyone's head because they play it so much. Not, I mean, that's good that they play it all the time because that means the other teams are on, are, we're on power play. But right. that's what we're known for is that, and everyone has that chant or the the arms and everything. It's kind of like, the music makes that atmosphere amazing. So, and they have a DJ and it's kind of like now knowing from learning from you, what's the difference. I see DJs are needed at these games. Cause like you said, you can think quick and then make a whole atmosphere change in just a second. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, situationally, one of the gurus out there, his name is DJ EJ. Um, that's my guy, man. Uh, he is the official DJ of the Dallas Cowboys and uh, TCU, like every sport from TCU. Um, basically, if you are a sports franchise or you are a sports program in the Texas area, in the Dallas area, um, EJ handles everything. So he and I go back and forth a lot, um, along with, with, with uh, Sean Wawelski, um from uh, Pro Sports DJs about what we play in, in our different situations. So now uh, we have a bank of music and, and s scenarios that um, over 200 sports DJs put together. Wow. Yeah. And it, it was a bitch getting everybody to buy in and, and share that information. So shouts to EJ on that. But it's, it's so great because, um, you know, in life, you normally see because there are so many, you know, it's not like there's an infinite amount of franchises and an, an infinite amount of uh, sports programs out there, right? So you would think that we are super like, oh, no, I'm not going to share anything with you. These are my secrets. And that, that may not lead to me, you know, getting booked for somebody else. But most of us just share with each other and you know we talk about our own experiences with each other and we're there for each other you know when ej can't do things 
um, and he's got a team of like five, seven, five to seven DJs down there um, that handle sports for him. He calls me and he says, "Okay, you want to fly into Texas today? You know, that, well, let's fly. Let's fly you down. Have you spin a basketball game and then fly home? Cool. You know, um, so it's more collaborative, and that's the great thing about." Um, being a sports DJ is that no matter what city I go to, it's like, oh man, let me see who, who the DJ is for that team. Cool. Hit them up. So it's like, yo, where should I go? Or, and, and most of the time they're just like, oh man, like, like, dude, don't even worry about it. Like, where are you staying? Like, we're going to come pick you up. And like that's like networking and helps, helps everyone. Because for sure. Like you said, if you're keeping the secrets, it's like, you're kind of like, hurting maybe someone that maybe wants to ask you how what can I do better and you don't have to share everything but they just want to answer to learn they're just learning and yeah yeah networking side of your guys' industry yeah and and it's you know it's it's nice to see that that even the super successful people like like Sean Pavelski he does everything in Tampa Bay um and in the Orlando area um Irie did it when he was with the Heat, and and EJ does it now. You know he recaps, and um, you know when I tune in, when I tune in to sports, and I'm lucky enough to be home. Um, there aren't that many days that I have that I'm actually not working a game. Um, if I'm not, and I'm I'm so fucking hypercritical about everything. Um, it's my OCD mind. So, you, you know, like, but EJ shares that same passion with me that he's just like, oh man, he's like, do you think I waited too long? Do you, do you think I waited too long to, pl- to, 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 hit, to, to play that? Or, you know, like, like, hey man, like, was it, was it loud enough? Or, or did I give the, the crowd enough time to pause? Like, oh shit, and then hit him with it? Um, so that's how we actually watch games now. Like, we can't watch games any other way aside from, you know, um, uh, the you know uh, especially in football it's just like yep they're lined up this way this is what's gonna happen and then my wife's like how do you fucking know that <laughs> and and my wife is a, is a football fan I'm just like dude like situationally you know over the past like 15 years it's just like you know you see this person happening you see mannerisms happening it's just like yep yeah they're they're gonna hit him in the flat and she's just like damn it <laughs> <laughs> and like you know like. Um, I, I forgot like one, one game we were watching was, uh, it was a Cowboys game and I'm like, yep. I was like, look at Witten. He's going to, he's going to hit a cross right here. And then I was like, oh, yep. Des over there. And she's just like, you caught that before it even happened. <laughs> but that's how we watch games. You know, that's how sports DJs watch games. And, um, because we have to be ready situationally before it happens. So shouts to Rich Gentile again for saying, Rich was the person that beat that shit into me. He's just like, you understand football. You're a fan. You already know the flow of the game. And that's why he brought me in. Um, he's like, I want you to be able to tell me what play is going to happen mm-hmm. situationally, what the chances are of that play happening so you could have that song ready. So when we're live, we're really not watching. You know, like like we're observing, but we're always thinking – so for, I brought my wife to games with me, right? And she saw my open format games when I was at Rutgers football where nobody's yelling at me in headset. I could take my headset off and it's just like, hey, you know, go do whatever you want to do. Cool. When I brought her to, uh, what was the first game? Um, 
I brought her to a, a, a boxing event. I brought her to a WBA, WBC boxing event. Um, I think it was like Sonny. I think Sonny Fredrickson was fighting. And she was just like, oh, my God, this is so different. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you actually have to talk to people in that headset. And I was like, yeah, but this is, this is a cakewalk. Brought her to a Big Ten football game. You know, one of the biggest championship football games that you could be a part of. Um, you know, uh, aside from uh, the, the CFB playoffs. So she was just like, what the hell is that? She, she had no idea how stressful it was. I have somebody, I have a spotter to my left um, telling me exactly what the officials on the field are doing because, you know, I'm, I'm not focused on the, the, the officials and the spotters. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, there's always a spotter on TV that's telling you what's going to happen. And you don't see him. He's on, he's on the sideline. He walks up and down, paces the sideline. And that's how you know uh, what network wants to do. And that's how you know what uh, the coaches are going to do and what the officials are thinking. So if you can find that spotter, you can tell what's going to happen for the pace of the game. So Big Ted gives me a spotter uh, to tell me what's going on. And he's just like watching. And normally the spotter is somebody, um, it's always volunteer from one of the programs that are there. And that spotter has also played football. So that spotter and I, that spotter and I, we can go back and forth with each other or they work in football and we could discuss the flow um, and what they're thinking. Like, hey, like, like, uh, oh, like I was like, you know, like, I think it's going to be this. And he's like, oh, no, like, like, I know that I know the team's mannerism. It's going to be this. Cool. I'm going to be ready. Um, so I have the spotter talking to me. I have a uh, cameraman with network on on my right side. Um, on my setup, click Serato. I'm trying to choose music. I'm trying to peek up, watching the game, watching the game. And then in my headset, we have cameramen, producers, and our executive producer. So my wife is like, and, and I'm trying to mix at the same time. So I'm trying to talk to people, listen, listen, sometimes get screamed at, <laughs> and, and mix music at the same time um and, and the first year was just like holy shit this is crazy Sounds and like then that <laughs> it, it's just a mind fuck yeah <laughs> yeah so and that's a long day too because for big 10 um i i fly in early and we do the entire weekend of events and for those who haven't been there the events are incredible um, it's a great way to connect with players. It's a great way to connect with, with other fans from other teams. Uh, normally ESPN does college game day there. So I'm outside in the plaza um, spinning for, um, you know, for the college game day crowd and um, the Georgia street tailgate, which is another thing. So I'm up at seven o'clock and my set starts at nine. I go nine to 12. Um, I get a break and then I'm, I'm in the stadium by three o'clock. And the game does not start until, I think, 8 o'clock. So I'm in the stadium by 3. And we, we do our run-through and our preparation. And um, TVs and cameras go live at 6. So, and doors open at 6.15. So it's a long day. By the time the game is done, it's 12.30. I'm mentally drained from that. And... Um, Shout out to DJ Indiana Jones, uh, my, my, my dude Ron over there. He gets me booked for a club right after. 
Oh man. So I'm at a, I'm at a club by like by like one fifteen, and I'm rocking till like two thirty. Um, we get back to the hotel. Uh, we take like you know we shower. We take a, a an hour nap, and then we're on the plane by six o'clock. I don't know how you do that. That's life. <laughs> I guess it's like you're so passionate about it that you'll do it and you'll get motivated and the energy. But I'm like, I'd be dead after the football game because that's like a full time job. Like, oh yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it, and that's why, like, when, when um, when people ask me, you know, like, um, a lot of franchises and uh, programs will ask me, well, how much do you charge for a game? And when I give them the numbers, some of them are like, oh, my God, like, that's that's no, we can't do that. Like, how do you justify that? And I'm like, all right, well, what time is call time? You know, call time is always two hours before doors open. Right. So. Already, I'm, I'm automatically there four hours. Then you have a three hour game. That's seven hours. Then you have an hour after that. That's eight hours. That's a typical day unless it's championship day then we want to be as prepared as possible. Then that becomes a nine-hour day. Monday night football and Sunday night football, that's a 13-hour day for me. Wow. Yeah, 13 hours. Um, so when we give a number, it's and it's not just like, hey, we're doing 13 hours for one day. Um, our preparation leading up to it, you know, for a big game is, is more like 20 hours, mm-hmm. right? So we're putting in 20, 20 to 25 hours for for one installment for one package game um so the 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 people that want to say hey we could pay another guy to do it for like two hundred dollars then shit go ahead i'm not going to give it 20 20 to 25 hours of my my life and my my time away from my family um to to sit there and and do it for that you know i'm i'm passionate and i love what i do and i really love what i do but um, I could focus my time on something else um, if, if it was that. And it's not about the money completely. You know, it's just uh, it's self-worth and self-validation mm-hmm. of, of knowing that um, I've been in sports since uh, 2001. So 19 years I've been in sports. And my knowledge, my passion absolutely shows in everything that I do with it. And I'm confident and I, I know my value. I know my worth. Uh, the things that my, my mom and my dad preached to me, know your value, know your worth, and never let anybody step on you. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that I try to take with me in my, not, not only my personal life, but my professional life too. So uh, that's why I bring up the money thing, because I know that budgets are a big thing and a lot of franchises or um, programs uh, often balk or flinch when they hear a number of how much they should be paying a sports DJ. But uh, sports DJs out there, my guys, man, we're in it together. <laughs> so recently you started streaming on Twitch. Yes. I've actually listened to it or watched a few of them. Oh, I appreciate it. Did you like it? Yeah, it, it was nice. Usually I'm on during something like if I'm cleaning or something, just so I have something going on. Yeah there's not really much on tv nowadays so i like listen to something new and something fresh so what brought you to do that so you know quarantine hit and um when quarantine hit we were like my wife and i are like man um all right so we're gonna work out okay we're gonna work out we're gonna watch and we're gonna binge watch every show on netflix (laughs) every show on hulu 
in every show on Amazon Prime that we wanted to. Oh, man. Um, I gave in and I got Disney so I could watch The Mandalorian, right? I was like, man, this is awesome. Now what, now what the fuck am I going to do? And I was watching some friends stream. Uh, shout out to D, uh, DJ D-Nice, right? So D is like, he's like the original of the originals, um, one of the first hip-hop producers out there, one of the first hip-hop production DJs out there. So D was streaming, and I was like, man, that's a, that's a party when, when D is streaming. And, and at the time, he was only streaming on Facebook and Instagram Live. So I was like, all right, well, how much is it going to cost? Um, you know, I have no DJ money coming in, right? I have DJ bills that are here. Yeah. I, have, I have the business loan from you know, that I've refinanced uh, for equipment over and over because, you know, you have to make capital purchases and you have to buy equipment every two to three years just to make sure that you sound good and, and, and things are as solid and reliable as possible, right? You don't want to be at an event or a sports event and it's just like, well, shit, my mixer just crapped out or my computer crapped out, right? So, I mean... And we, we travel with, I travel with a laptop and a backup laptop and a production laptop, right? So I travel with three laptops. That's $12,000 right there Wow. that I travel with, right? $12,000 right there that I'm traveling with. So I, I have to refresh those every three years. So the business loans are just, they're there. They're always going to be there. Right. Cause there's no way that I'm just going to drop 12 grand on fucking laptops all at once. <laughs> That's like a degenerate gambler. <laughs> um, so when screaming came, my wife is just like, I think you should do it. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Um, I got a 4K camera. And I was like, all right. So I'm, I'm, I'm adding this, this shit up in my head. I was like, I need a, I, I need a light, right? So um, I got a, a couple of lights and diffusers um, in the room. Um, I was like, all right. So, you know, I'm down a thousand bucks right now. Um, what else? What else? So I was like, oh, well, let me lose my, let me use my production laptop, which I've eventually moved off of because I was like, well, that's four grand, man. If that laptop blows while I'm streaming, yeah, then, then I'm fucked. So I was like, let, so I built, um, I, I built a laptop solely for streaming. Um, and I built a, I built a studio PC, um, that's solely for music production now. Um, and now the, the laptop is the, the, the other Mac is kind of just a, a, a backup. So when I put that all together, I was just like, all right, man, financially, this makes sense. Let's do it. So my first Sunday, I was like, I, I, I need a hook. I, I need to have people come in and, and just have a good time. I was like, well, what, do, what are a lot of people doing? I was like, all you see are challenges, right? We have the burpee challenge. We have the push-up challenge. Uh, we have the sit-up challenge, right? And, and come on, guys, 50 sit-ups a day, that's not going to do you any good. So <laughs> just, just it, it's going to make you a little bit better, but, but in, in reality, it's not going to do you any good. Like, you need to consistently be there. Um, it's all about forming good habits, and it's 30 days to form a good habit. So doing a push-up challenge or, or a sit-up challenge for one week, it's not forming a good habit for you, right? You got to do it for 30 days at least. Anyway, digress. Um, I went on Facebook Live, and I called it, the Cabernet and Cuts Challenge. So the premise of this first stream was uh, every time that I play a new song, people have to take a sip. And I was like, you know what? Like my wife is just like, well, what's your goal? And I was like, you know, if I get like 10 people 
to watch live with me, I'm going to be happy. And she's like, I think 10 people will watch with you. She's like, I'll watch with you. And I was just like, cool. I appreciate that. You know, like, Hey, like my wife's going to watch. And she's like, I'll, I'll, I'll even play along. I'm like, cool. We're going to be both sloshed at the end of the night and, <laughs> and we're good. Right. But we're going to keep it classy slosh. And that's why we're drinking Cabernet. Right. So, um, my first stream, I had 1200 people watch and I was like, this is fucking awesome, man. I had nurses and doctors that were tuned in at hospitals um, that I've never met, that, that people have just shared, um, you know, my Facebook stream with them. And uh, they were tipping me. They were just like, you know, like we came out of like, you know, a, a hard surgery today and we had a, a hard case. Uh, you know, our COVID numbers are surging. But we listen to you at the nurse's station or we listen to you in the break room. And I had a nurse tip $250. Wow. And I'm like, man, I was like, you, you guys are the ones that we should be taking care of you. You know, um, we, we should be sending you guys PPE and we should be making sure that somebody shops for food for you guys. And it, it shouldn't just be like you guys sending money to me. And so basically after I recouped the money that I, that I put out for, uh, my initial streams, then I just started donating the money for, uh, for, for PPE or, or making personal purchases and then um, shipping it to whoever needs it. So um, if you do need masks out there uh, and you're a nurse or you're a doctor, then I, I, I definitely got you. Uh, hit me up. So that was that, you know, and then the popularity and I, I never expected it. Like I, I missed, I didn't miss one. I started late, right? So it, it used to be three o'clock. Um, it was Father's Day and I went to go see my, my, my parents. And, you know, we, we had a nice family lunch. And then my mom's just like, oh my God, what about your stream? And I'm like, oh, don't worry. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it like, you know, a little later in the day. And then when I got on, people are like, dude, dude, what happened? We thought you weren't gonna do a stream today. And I was like, wow, like, like people actually like really appreciated it. I didn't know about Twitch at the time, mm -hmm. right? Like I was just watching my friend, uh, Illmind Producer, shout out to at Illmind Producer on Twitch. Um, I was just watching him because I thought you could only do like tutorials and, you know, uh, video games. That's what I knew Twitch was for. So I had a Twitch account just to watch kids play video games. <laughs> and I, I, it was really just to watch kids like, like listen to them fight with each other. Like, oh. You killed me. Oh, oh, your mother. Like, or like one guy, like, hey, I bet you, you know, I bet you're like 12 years old. Like, you know, like, like when, when college kids like bash on like on kids, like, oh, you're probably 12 years old and a virgin. Like, yeah, come on, dude. He's supposed to be 12 years old and a virgin. If not, that's disgusting. And, and I would listen to people on Twitch. And that's like, I was like, man, you know, so that, that's what I thought it was for. I thought it was just for creators. Um, you know, super famous people and, and people that play video games. Facebook then started shutting DJs down, right? And I had never been shut down before. So this is late June, never been shut down. And I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm going to ride out on Facebook for as long as I can. Um, and people are like, hey, you know, the shutdowns are coming. That next week, um, I was shut down in 15 seconds. Wow, that's quick. Yeah, I played a song from Rush. Oh. And it was like, 
boom. And then like as soon as as soon as the first verse came in and the first guitar riff came in, that's it. And I'm just like, what the hell? And then people are like, dude, what happened? We're trying to get in. We're trying to get in. Um, hundreds of ma- messages on Facebook, like, like, hey, d- d- did you change? Did you change the room? Like, like, what are you doing? Try to go back on again. Shut down again. Um, so I did my research, and then there was a company, Mixcloud, at the time. So I was like, all right, let me try Mixcloud. So my first two streams in July, I did the Cabin Cuts Challenge on Mixcloud, and. It was cool, but it wasn't what I was getting on Facebook. I was getting like 60 people to watch. And I'm like, man, this really sucks. Like, spent all the money. Hey, we recouped it, but do I really want to do this for 60 people? And my wife's just like, who fucking cares, you know? Originally, you said if you can get like 15, 20 people to do it, like, you'd be happy. And I was like, you know what? That's cool. That's, you're, you're right. Uh, July 19th was my first official stream on Twitch. And we did it as a Cabin Cuts Challenge. It was a challenge. Um, moving off of Mixcloud um, because eventually I would have to pay for Mixcloud to, to, to be able to stream for people. So I was like, I'm going to pay to stream for other people. Um, it's like, that, that seems like ass backwards, right? So um, my first stream, I remember on Twitch, um, didn't have many followers, July 19th, and I think like 20 people showed up. And I'm like, here we go again. Like, do I really want to do it? And my wife's like, she's like, I had a good time. I'm like, all right, cool. And my boy hit me up and he's just like, uh, shout out to uh, DJ D Devil. And he's like, man, I didn't know that you were on Twitch. Um, You know, I just started following you. He's like, let me know when you stream again and I'll I'll bring a party in. And I was like, bring a party in. I was like, what are you just going to tell people? I didn't know about raids or any of that, right? I'm fucking Twitch newbie at the time. Um, So D hits me up for the 26th and then he brings a party of like 200 people into the room and then like so people are, are uh, at the time i had i had become an affiliate too because i was doing restreams of my old shows of the cabin cuts challenge on facebook on twitch and i didn't know that people were watching those and i didn't know that that i could earn points and hours um for my re for, for my replays um, I was just doing it because I was like, hey, as, as I try to, you know, grow on Twitch, um, I'm just going to play these things randomly. Um, so I hit affiliate status uh, my first week of streaming, um, which was cool because I was like, man, like that was that. Like, and you're super appreciative, too, right? You're, because it's not just like my time. It's it's our viewers time. <laughs> and our viewers have so many DJs and so many channels to consume that concurrently when you're getting those views um i realize now that it's it's a beautiful thing um i've also realized that it is difficult to have a hundred concurrent viewers unless you're somebody who's super famous um shout out to my guy ill mind producer uh dj e-rock uh whenever i'm in their streams they have like 17 18 000 people concurrent viewers wow yes um, I think Illmind's biggest video, um, since he, he produces, he's, he's a two-time Grammy award-winning producer, um, Hamilton on Broadway with Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, Jay-Z and Beyonce, uh, Russ, Drake. So Illmind had Russ on. 190,000 people watched. Twitch had to shut the room down. Wow. 
to the point where where they couldn't even keep up with the number with with the the, the tick count of people that were coming into the freaking room that they were just like hey 10,000 people we're just going to call it 10,000 people um when i spoke to, with with ilmine the next day, he's he's like yeah he's like dude there was like 180,000 people that were watching it's like oh my god goals right <laughs> goals there and i was like i, I want 180,000 people to watch my streams you know, not concurrently, but collectively, cumulatively. So um, July 26th, uh, D-Double brings that. Um, I become an affiliate. I can release emotes. People can subscribe to my channel. Uh, my first stream, I had 50 subscribers sign up. And I'm like, that was my other, my other hesitation about coming to Twitch after I heard about subscribers. So I was just like, well, what if nobody subscribes to me? Like, no, what if nobody likes me? Um, you know, I'm going back to that, 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 that high school freshman kid mm-hmm. who's just, man, like, like, you know, walking into the big room. Right. Cause I was just that, that small kid. Um, and I, at the time I was small in stature too, that small, lanky, skinny kid that was walking into high school. Like, man, like, I hope these people like me. Um, my first time walking to a new club, I really hope that people like me and, and I really hope that people come back. And then my first stream, I get 50 subscribers. My first stream is an affiliate, 50 subscribers. I'm like, man, this is fucking awesome. Um, I add a Friday stream. So I, I recently added a Friday stream. It's called the Friday Vibe at 5. So that's 5 o'clock on, on, um, on Fridays, 5 o'clock Eastern Standard. And then on Sundays, it's the Cabin Cuts Challenge. I moved it back to 6 o'clock because I felt like a degenerate drinking at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So 6 o'clock Eastern Standard on Sundays. Um, Illbind comes into my room. And when he comes in, he is always... He, him and his, his group are always the shit. Um, my second stream, I have 100, uh, 100 subscribers. And just this past stream, 101 subscribers. So the past two streams, sorry. So in a matter from when I started, which was July 19th to August 11th, um, hit affiliate. And within that time frame, uh, 249 subscribers which is like, oh my God, like, hey, I'm cool. If I could retain the 249 subscribers, that's a different thing. So I'd like to retain the subscribers and I would like to grow the subscribers, um, my subscriber base. Um, and, and it's just to be able to offer people more, right? So as, as someone who um, has more subscribers and someone who hits the partnership level, so that's what we're, that's what we're on now. And people think I'm crazy because they're just like, dude, like, we didn't think about partnership until month three. Um, like, slow down, slow down, you know, like, like enjoy, enjoy the ride. Um, but when I'm all in, like people know me, I'm all in for something. So partner is when you have, I need to average 75 concurrent viewers over 30 days and stream for X amount of hours, have X amount of followers, X amount of subscribers sign up within those 30 days. So I just started the partner push this week, um, this past Sunday. So uh, for anybody out there, please join me. Um, I need, it's really hard because people will come in and out of the room, right? So um, right now I'm averaging 60, but I can go all the way up to 200, 200 viewers. But then, you know, they'll fall off and then you'll go back to 60 or you'll go down to like 50. Um, and that used to really upset me because I was like, man, why are people leaving? But after realizing, dude, there are so many things on Twitch that people could be watching and people could be consuming 
that just play for you and and uh, and be able to have fun um, and and an ability to connect. Um, but man, it it is for those who have never seen a DJ stream on Twitch or a producer stream on Twitch. If you guys want to see something crazy and something that's just it's organic, and that's the best part about it is it's like we're not walking into high school with bullies. We're walking into grammar school all as friends because it doesn't matter pre-covid you know you had your superstar djs you had your superstar producers you had your influencers i fucking hate that word um (laughs) i hate that word i i as much as i hate the word i'm a model what agency are you signed with i'm an instagram model I appreciate your hustle. I, I really do. And, and I do have a few friends who are Instagram models, but I also have friends who are signed to like Wilhelmina. So um, I know my mindset needs to change. But I, again, unless you're signed to an agency or you, you've been printed, you've been paid for your work. If you're just posting pictures of you in a bikini, then you're posting a photo shoot. You're not posting something that you've been paid to do. So if you're going to be passionate about something, that's, that's great. But in this world of consumption, in this world of, of digital, you know, I'm the shit, you're the shit, that person's the shit, um, try to find your niche and, and make it happen. So digress again. In the world of influencers and I'm this and I'm that, um, that does not fucking matter on Twitch. It doesn't matter if you're a day one streamer with zero followers. It doesn't matter if you're a day one streamer, but you're super popular and you have 10,000 followers. Everybody interacts with each other. You know, every DJ interacts with you. And now we, as DJs, we have gamers, like legit millionaire gamers who are coming into our streams throwing down bits and cheers, um, telling their friends about you. And that's also another dope thing is because if we can connect with so many more people than we could before, the greatest thing uh, that I've witnessed and been able to speak, speak about um, as being a part of this, this Twitch community for as short of a time as I have, um, thank you guys for embracing me. And uh, thank you for actually clicking follow and clicking to subscribe. But the greatest thing is watching people have the ability to connect, grow, cultivate relationships, and then just multiply their, their following in their community has been incredible. I mean, there are people that we never would have heard of, you know, from Idaho, um, like people from like Carson City, uh, Sioux Falls, that are incredible DJs. They're fucking amazing producers. And now we get to consume their content. And that is, that is, I don't listen to the radio anymore. And I rarely watch TV these days because there's nothing on TV. Like, like you said, um, aside from, you know, when, when there's sports, I play golf. I, I work out. I cook. I read. And I fucking watch Twitch. That keeps you busy all day. All day. All day. I, I, didn't, I didn't get off Twitch last night until um, I was watching a roundtable um, 
it, it's a, 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 a it's fear a DJ Furious uh, six one nine has a roundtable on Mondays and he invites some of the most influential music um, and uh, entertainment industry people into his live stream. Uh, yesterday they did a cooking show with Zaldi. Shouts to Zaldi. It's Z H A L D E E. Follow him. Um, Zaldi is a super successful Filipino chef and he showed people on on the stream how to cook and there were people along with furious and rage that cooked with him and zaldi starting his his new uh his new cooking stream too so i didn't get off until like 1 30 in the morning last night because they're they're from california so at 1 30 in the morning i'm like you know what i need to put this down i need to turn on I need to turn on Heidi Hannah and, and um, meditate so I can go to sleep. If not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to have bags under my eyes for this interview. <laughs> the final question I'll ask you, based on your journey and someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give someone to rise to their challenge to overcome obstacles and accomplish their goals? Uh, multifaceted question, but I'll, I'll try to give the quick answer um, and, and the the sum of all things is relationships, right? Um, it's great to succeed on your own. It is a beautiful thing. I often don't ask for help. And my wife always tells me that. Um, shit, my therapist tells me, you need to ask for help. Um, she's like, most of the time when you stress, yes, I see a therapist. So, you know, for those out there who are just like, oh, he sees a therapist. Dude, I have a shit ton of stress. I have a, a lot of stressors in my life. And the only way that I can, that I can talk about, it, I don't want to stress my wife out all the time, right? Uh, though, though we talk, um, my wife and I talk for at least two hours a day of, of what our day was like, what our day consisted of. Um, and, it, and it helps us decompress. But I speak with a therapist too, because she helps me to understand uh, the different layers of the emotion that I'm feeling from my experiences and my interactions with people on a day-to-day, especially during this pandemic, right? She has been incredible. So the things that I could always say to people are, number one, be true to yourself. We can spot fakers. We can spot haters. And if you are a fake supporter, just be a hater because it's easier for you if, if, if you're just a hater than a fake supporter. Don't be that guy that supports and is on the side you're side-eyeing, thinking, that should be me. Everyone goes through it, whatever. Be a legitimate supporter and be a legitimate champion and fan of your friends and, and, and the people and your, your, your cohorts, right? Because those are the people who are going to champion for you eventually. Yep. So be true to yourself. Be passionate in what you do. Be passionate in... in um, Whatever it is that you do, if you want to drive cars, be the fucking best driver out there. You know, learn the ins and outs of how to how to maneuver a turn. And if you want to play a sport, try to be the best that you can. Because, you know, I I try to be a fucking professional PGA Tour player, but I definitely know that I'm not. And I I get frustrated um, when I don't have a good round. Um, but try try your hardest to be the best as as much as you can be um relationships ask for help build relationships don't build acquaintances okay um there's something 
I, I believe uh, the number is 150 legitimate deep relationships that somebody can have in in a given time frame in their life. Right. So um, that's your ability to connect at a deeper level than just the superficial level of, hey, how's it do? How's it going? Yeah, kids are good. Yeah, cool. All right. That's it. You want to be able to, to connect and and deeply connect with as many people as possible because those people that love you, they're the ones who are going to promote your shit. When you're looking for a job or you're on LinkedIn and you see that somebody else knows the person who you need to get to, those are the people that are going to be like, you know what? I'm not even, I'm going to hit them up on LinkedIn for you, but I'm going to introduce you in an email. So it's deeper than just, Hey, I know this person on LinkedIn. Um, I've gotten, I've gotten a shit ton of phone calls um, and referrals for not, not, not only for work, um, for, you know, random everyday things in life. Um, Be the person who can give because you are not going to receive until you give. Right. And, and that it could be giving anything, giving, giving your ear, lending your ear. So someone can talk to you about something, um, lending a hand, physically doing something. Um, what I realized that I needed to cultivate more relationships. I was always that person who someone could call in a bind if they needed just somebody to vent to, Hey, you know, let's go smoke a cigar. Let's go smoke some fucking cigarettes. Let's drink a, let's drink a scotch and let's just talk. Um, I think I helped most of my friends move into their houses. Um, and whenever someone needs something, I try to be there for, for the people. Um, because being a legitimate good person, I believe, will eventually come back. And, and uh, you know, if it doesn't come back to you on, on a, uh, a global atmospheric level, uh, it will at least come back to you with that person because that person will not forget that you did something. And if it's just a story, you know, even if it's just like an anecdote in the future, then it's a good memory for you to have um, that'll eventually make you feel good. So be true to yourself. Be passionate about what you do. Um, Don't be scared to talk to people about your problems. Ask for help. Build relationships and build legitimate relationships. Um, And don't think you're an expert. You are never a fucking expert at anything that you do. You may have expertise skills, but the minute that you think that you are the master and you are the guru, shit will smack you down so quickly. Um, you know, and I learned that the hard way uh, when I was with the Nets. You know, I thought that we were going to extend my contract and it was just going to be like an evergreen contract and I was going to be good, right? Um, when they didn't extend my contract, uh, I was like, man, I went from being this super confident person to just like, where, where am I in the world? And that was taken away from me in, in an instant. Um, your blessings and what you, your accolades uh, that you get to enjoy, those could be ripped away as quickly as, as ripping a plaque, you know, one of the plaques that you see um, in the background off the wall, yep. right? So have micro goals. This is the biggest thing. Have a fucking micro goal. Have a group of micro goals. So if you're asking what a micro goal is, 
Um, my manager and I set this. We have five micro goals every year. And it helps you to stay not, not only stay motivated, but um, hold yourself accountable. That's another one. Hold yourself fucking accountable. If you mess up, it's on you. And this is a huge thing um, for, and it's not just millennials, it's people in general. It's a huge thing that people cannot hold themselves fucking accountable. If you fucked up, you fucked up. It's not, well, I would have been there on time, but, you know, Bill couldn't pick me up. Or the dog was barking, so, you know, I had to take the dog out. And, no, th those are excuses. You don't want an excuse as to why something didn't happen. You want a reason to why something happened. Mm -hmm. If you want something to happen and you were legitimately passionate and you, are, you can will something to happen, that's your responsibility. Do not let anybody or anything get in the way of that. If you think that your dog may uh, have to go out, wake up half an hour early and take your dog on a, on a walk half an hour earlier. Set up daycare stuff for your dog. Think of things like that. Like think of anything that you can control within the realm of, of your world. Think about what is controllable. Try to control those things. Um, you know, the variables, you can't control the variables. Um, but never use a variable as an excuse. You want reasons to be successful, not excuses as to why you're unsuccessful. Okay, so bringing everything back. Um, shit, before I, 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 had, I had something that I, that I really wanted to say uh, before the accountability um, th that I'm, I'm blanking on right now. Oh, micro goals, micro goals, okay. So my overall goal every year is land something big. It could be a big music placement um, for production. It could be a new contract, right? Those are general big goals for me. How do I get there? I get there by achieving micro goals, accomplishing micro goals. So again, my manager and I, we set out five major goals five micro goals to get to each of those major goals. And if you don't achieve the major goal, you can at least assess where you are in the micro goals. So, you know, in terms of getting a music placement, okay, well, I'm going to try to produce one song every day for the next 365 days. So what does that mean? By the end of the year, I will have 365 beats that I can give to my manager to shop around for me. Okay. So your, your odds of 365 songs sucking are, are, are slim. Your odds of one song being great in 365 tries are, are pretty high. Um, and, and not only that, it's 30 days to get into a good habit, right? If I produced a song, if I tried to produ produce a song, Every day for 365 days, what's that? I'm in a positive habit of, of making sure that um, my life is working towards my, my micro goal and my major goal, right? So have your micro goals, set them, and don't have it be in your major goal. Don't have it be like an inanimate object, right? Have it be something that's tangible to you. Have it be something that you can control um, to the best of your ability, right? Um, Illmind uses this. Um, well, 
someone has a new producer has a goal of I want to win a Grammy. But you don't control the people's voting. You don't have a placement yet. Um, and you're just a new th- you're, you're just starting out as a producer. So how can you have that goal for the year or, you know, for the next two years that you want to you want to win a Grammy? Right. Have the goal of I want a placement. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, you know, relatively new, new music producer. Um, I have a couple of placements, but I don't have the super major placement yet um, that, I, that I hope to enjoy in, in 2021. So that's a, that's a 2021 goal because right now it's just, I'm, I'm focusing on the live streams and I'm focusing on trying to get better in, in my production craft. Well, DJ Yoshi, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your journey and your rise to the challenge. I have truly enjoyed getting the behind the scenes of your um, jobs at the sporting events and learning about your passion that you have for what you do in the world of music. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks so much, Alex. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.